As we continue to look at David's life, and today we are at David and the covenant of the Lord. And as you remember, as David king, David has become king over all Israel, not just uh, Judah, the southern part, but the 11 other tribes who were uh, called themselves Israel, northern country, became a united kingdom, uh, Israel. And the first three things that he did is, number one, he, he moved the capital of their nation from Hebron to kind of middle way of above Judah and Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was not a, a, a their city. And it took much courage of David's warriors uh, to conquer the, the capital. And the rest is really the history. It became center of their nation. It became the center of their spiritual life. And we are all known, and even the, among the Gentile, uh, Gentile Christians now, there is a new thing called, called it Zionism. People going back and getting interested in what God uh, might do in the future in the city of Jerusalem. And, and maybe some of you had uh, traveled there. So that um, the wealth of Heritage is began to build because of David. The second thing is uh, what all the people want. The reason why they wanted David to become king, not Ishibosheth, is because the, all the surrounding countries were threatening, especially the Philistines. So David went up to the war asking the Lord. And defeated the Philippines this time, it turned the tide with them. Up until then, they always had an upper hand and oppressive presence on Israel. Now, Philistines can never deal with uh, Israel the, the way they used to. And then today's the third thing. Okay, now this. Capitals changed and centered, and now that safety and security of the nation is settled, what's most important? We need to bring back the ark of the Lord. So that's the two, two stories that we're going to hear. Okay, one story of two attempts, but a little quick overview about the, the lost ark. And yes, several years ago, the raiders of lost ark, and there is a, so much of a interest and curiosity is it based upon this. Um, but with, with today's focus, let's find out a few basic background and history uh, before the story. What is the purpose of the Ark. Ark of the Lord is also known as Ark of God. Ark of the Covenant. Why? The Ten Commandments was in there. 
an arc of um, testimonies. The testimonies are typically called uh, God's uh, commandments, right? So it was a wooden chest uh, overlaid with pure gold and then made by acacia wood, which is very sturdy, long-lasting wood. And to, to cover that overlaid with pure gold, uh, the importance of, obviously, preciousness, uh, sacredness was there. The, the top is called the uh, Ottoman cover. Ottoman cover was entirely solid gold, solid slab of gold. And then on, on top of that cherubim, an angelic being, to wings forward like this, bowing his head and facing each other and symbolizing God's presence. And then at the center of it is called the mercy seat. You know how this is encouragingly uh, insightful for New Testament believers, the Christ followers? That's where the dwelling presence came and the Lord spoke with Moses and the high priest. Once a, once a year for the high, high priest. And then at the mercy seat, Unblemished blood, the lamb's blood has to be sprinkled, symbolizing blood of Jesus once for all. So that sacrifice is done away. The real thing has come, and the shadow is no longer necessary. At the cross, Jesus died on the cross, shed the blood. And the sinners meet with the almighty, holy God at that mercy seat. And it symbolized that. And that mercy seat is the symbolizing purposes, the presence of the Lord, dwelling presence of the Lord. Incredible beauty and glory, even visually, too. It, and it is often called Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory is basically God is everywhere. Everywhere God reveals his dwelling presence among the people of the Lord. So that was the purpose. And if you look at the side of it, there are two poles, acacia wood overlaid with gold again, and with a ring, and that two poles were not to be taken out at any time. In other words, the specific instructions, and not only for the sprinkling, um, and not only for the purification of the high priest or priest going into the temple, not only for the, the atonement that sacrifice needs to happen before going into the most holy place or holy place, inner, inner sanctum, these specific laws were written in the Mosaic Law. How to carry. 
And for now, just a little bit of a context and background is those specific, even to a point, anal descriptions of the law was accentuate was to accentuate holiness of God. How holy he is. So oftentimes when the high priest didn't do the right procedure, didn't do the purification, as soon as he walks into the the most holy place, holy of holies, that he will die. So so they start uh, putting a like a little bell on their ring with a rope and so that they know he's alive or he will pu- they will pull the rope so that the body will come out instead of someone else going in to get killed again that was incredible real presence of God happening And they were uh, instructed specifically to carry the covenant and carry the the, the ark. And then they were specifically assigned to certain family of Levites. Obviously, the sons of Levi are the priests. And we we call them, the scripture calls them Levites. But third son of Levi is Kohath, and Kohathites of Levites are only to handle these most sacred objects. And this will make sense as we go to the, through the street uh, story. Uh, why was it lost? Because the ark was used and misused as an amulet, as a lucky charm, rather than revering, following the commands of God, which, which the ark contained, the, the elders of Israel and two uh, sons of the high priest thought that we're going to go war against Philistines, let's carry we're, we're in a big-time crisis right now. So let's carry the ark, meaning that as long as the ark goes, we're going to win. It's an amulet. It's, it's a lucky charm. But what happened? 3,000 men were killed. It was a devastating defeat. And the, even the worst case was the ark was stolen, taken by the enemies. But the Philistines, when they actually scoff, oh, I heard about, we heard about this God of Israel who brought uh, 10 plagues in Egypt and we were fearful about that. Oh, it's nothing. So they put Ark of the Road, Ark of the Lord, Ark of the Covenant, along with their idols. Dagon. And every morning, Dagon will fall, and then one arm will be broken. Other, other idols will be broken. All these things are happening. And then a bunch of people who looked into the ark died. So they don't know what to do. It is too much. 
Okay, let's go ahead and send it back. If we put the ark of the ark of the Lord on the ox cart, if the ox cart goes by itself without any driving but driven by people to the Israelites, that means it is the God of Israel did it. If didn't go there, and that was a pure coincidence. Actually, the the ox ox cart went off straight to Beth Shemesh to the Israels. Out of curiosity, these Israelites, yeah, hooray! What's in there? Seventy person, seventy people died. Just by looking at it, looking inside. So they didn't know what to do. It was a, it was a stored in one person's house for many years, and then David says, "Ark of the Lord, presence of the Lord." David's heart and passion, love for the Lord, was that much great. So now he's trying to bring it back. And obviously it was important not only to Israelites, but for David. It meant the world to him. Psalm 27, he says, One thing I have asked the Lord in his life, the only thing that he asked the Lord, he's asking again, to see, the, to behold the beauty of the Lord in his temple. Put it in our language to sense God's presence and to be intimate and to watch and experience God's beauty. That's what he's saying. Obviously, the Old Testament, the external seas of God's will and God's purpose is externally revealed. It was a place. The New Testament, every single one of Christ's followers God's sanctum, inner sanctum, the Holy Spirit calls our, our, each one of the followers, believers, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, it's danger and joy. Because of all these joy, danger would happen uh, to not only to Philistines, but to the Hebrews as well. Uh, even today, David gets scared, feared about how am I going to, how are we going to bring back the ark? But and yet, at the end of that, there is a joy and celebration. And I, I really, we appreciate our worship team paying attention to the passage. So my goal is to finish my message early enough to sing one of those happy song and joy song, and, you know. Because I, you know, seeing in in our vision, David is so overjoyed. It's not a fancy performance dance. It's just a flow of a overjoyed movement, without any shame that he was doing. Okay, with that as a long introduction, 
Let's look at two, two attempts. One attempt, first attempt, starts with failure, failure and death of Uzzah. First one of chapter 6 in Second Samuel. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. When they carry the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there besides the ark of God. And David was angry because of the Lord has broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Broken out on Uzzah. Verse 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So, the David, so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So as I mentioned, there was a specific instructions, and the God's purpose is there. But they went with their plan. Can you just imagine 30,000 men to bring one rectangular box? It's like a rose parade happened. God required, and they made a new cart, a brand new cart just for this occasion, or they pay attention to more Philistine method than Mosaic law. But at any rate, this story bothers a lot of people. Well, frankly, many of us, isn't it? Oh, isn't it just a little bit too excessive, Lord? And it feels like an innocent reaction to hold Steady the ark 
And then he was struck down and scripture specifically said, the anger of the Lord broke out. What did he do so wrong? Okay. One thing that, two extremes that we should avoid as we approach this. The one approach is that just disregard the biblical God altogether. I, I can't believe this kind of God. Without even looking into the scripture, without even struggling about uh, the things, a man-centered view is usually like that. And do you know that you, New Age God is much like a popularity contest uh, God? So anyone who could make up, I wish God could be like this, and that's a New Age God usually. Nothing offensive. Man-made God. But the difference in this case is God is transcendent. He's not like us. And he reveals his special revelation about him. Otherwise, we cannot never know. We can never know about who he is. And this is happening. So we should not do that. Going into this more well-meaning Christians who love Jesus and said, I stick to the New Testament God. I don't like Old Testament God. He's too uh, scary, violent. The New Testament God is God of love. Jesus loves everyone and, and no violence happens. And this is another way of doing man-centered thinking, approach. Why? The God of the New Testament is God of Old Testament. God of Old Testament is God of New Testament. Jesus is never opposing to the Father, and the Father is never opposing to the Jesus nature or teaching. So we are at least need to have this humble, open posture. There must be something I do not understand. There must be something that I need to submit so that I could see the biblical God who is transcendent, that I cannot put everything in my head. On a side note, that I think that's what we are going through. If Philip Swartz, the expert, who's gonna who was going to take care of our, all our paperwork for C CUP application, and then although it might take time, he's going to take us to public hearing and finishes everything. And then, especially me, I was like, see, I told you guys, I, we figured this out. God is on our, on our side. As if we could have a formula. But the reason why we feel uncertain, because God is not manageable that way. And he doesn't even make us to feel like, oh, there's a new card coming out. Like, you know, the TV uh, poker series show, you, you get to see our next card. Others not cannot see, but can we actually see that a little bit? So Someone has holding on that. Not even do that. And then frustration and impatience can be I want God to be this way. 
We determine. I want God to be graceful in, at all times. Oh, I don't like this holiness thing. That is devastatingly fatal in understanding and trusting God. So Uzzah's death shows that God is not only manageable, but by God's standard, it points to true God who teaches the world the essence of the gospel. We're going to synthesize in lesson. I'm going to hold back myself a little bit here. But let me just point this out to that so many other religions welcomes touching sacred objects, visiting holy places, flattering God by physical expression. And they make idols to sell, to touch. And God is unique because God, God even forbade any image to be created. So one of the mistakes, the common mistakes that Catholicism, Roman Catholicism created is they need something tangible to look at. And we see many of well-meaning believers praying under the Mary statue or St. Peter or Jesus. God is transcendent God. The one thing that I am uh, reviewing again is actually God seems to point to his way to be treated, to be worshipped, rather than David's flamboyant parade and big production. God specifically wanted us to follow. The same principle applies to us. When you think about worship, you know, I came from that kind of background also too. How do you evaluate worship? How everybody felt. Even the language is very human-centered. Oh, if I did a preaching really good, you know, the language will be, Paul broke down, brought down the house. He was on fire. And they worshipped him was flying. And whatever the expression was, oh, I felt just goosebumps all over. What did God feel? Was he honored? Was he glorified? Or are we in the way of God's glory? Or God becomes a third person who's sitting in the corner? And we have to be entertained first? God commands us to worship him in the way that he specifically commanded. Of course, the Old Testament, as I mentioned in the, the biblical narrative, is the seed of God's purpose and God's plan. And the fruition, uh, the 
full-blown picture in the New Testament gets the fruit. See, the Old Testament always starts with external things. Even the teaching about holiness, externally. These are sacred, these places are sacred, these places are holy, these places are unclean. But the New Testament talks about the internal state of our heart. But if we were taught, Israelites were taught internal things first, there is no tangible way of learning. And then another thing that I would like to mention is God brings a stricter judgment and his breath. In the beginning of economy of God, the economy of God meaning that when he unfolds his plan and his views, that initially he sets the tone. The same thing happened in the New Testament church when Ananias and Sapphira lied about their giving. They were struck down, dead. But nowadays, if that continues on, we will hear so many people dying every Sunday. You know? But it kept the fear of the Lord among the early church Christians. The same way in the Israelites. Um, okay. Second attempt is actually success and joyful worship. Verse 12. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household, household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because, he, because of the ark of, the, of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedim to the city of David and with rejoicing. And when, they, when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed, sacrificed an ox and fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen effort which is the typical uh, clothes, a uniform the priests wear, the white. So David and all the house, house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And the ark of the Lord came to the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out, looked out, out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in, in its place inside the tent David had pitched for it. And David offered bunt of offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David finished offering the burnt, of, burnt offerings and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of the host and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both man and woman, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisin to each one, not each family, not each person, party 
the real party going. Then all the people departed, each to his house, and David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, notice the expression, not Michael, David's wife, first wife, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the Virgo, Virgo fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. A little bit of exaggeration. He's not on the down to the, like a mini bikini, but he was <laughs> showing the clothes, loose clothes flowing down things. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all. And I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But my, by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. So this time, David must have gone back to Mosaic Law and read it. So he did everything right. Uh, he's actually asking Levites, Kohathites, the special group of Levites to carry that on their shoulder and to just make sure he applies the atonement sacrifice. Uh, some scholars say one, two, three, four, five, six, before seventh step, they sacrifice. And for the rest of the way, they went. On other commentators say, no, it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six, sacrifice. One, two, three, four, five, six, sacrifice. So we're talking about all the way to Jerusalem, they probably, I don't know what it is. But all I know is David finally got it. This God is someone that I cannot manage. Manage. My anger was angry because things didn't go away, and then I felt like a, bringing the Ark of the Covenant became a party pooper because Uzzah died. But and yet, he's trying to open his eyes in fear. How can I bring the ark to me? And he figured it out. Obeidim. It's called the Hittites. I mean, Hittites. Uh, people who lived in or from Gath. But the, it sounds like a Gentile, right? But looking into some other commentaries, and this insightful thing is that there was a town of uh, Kobe Heights, Kobetites lived in, in, in the land of Philistine, and he must be Kohathites. And not only that, him taking care of 
every single way that the, the way the Lord in, instructed. And then when there was shalom and fellowship, the presence of our came, the whole town celebrated. And the worship broke out instead of the fear of the Lord in a scary way. Uh, what happened to Michael? She didn't have any child. It looks like not only this time, but for the rest of her life, even before. Um, even to this day, all those people who, especially moms who want to have a children, and this is a very difficult process, isn't it? But in the back then, for women, this was a glory, having children. Was it a specific curse or punishment by God? It is implicit. This is one of the narratives. It says it as it is, but there is no commentary on that. But as, at, at least we could presume some things. For example, David dealing with her. Maybe their relationship grew apart. Maybe he never slept with him, her ever again. That's one way to look at it. Or even though they had a sexual relationship, no childbearing happened. Either way, I think it is a implicit in a way that her spirit bear the same uh, fruit that he saw, she sowed. Okay, here's the three lessons before we time runs out. Lesson number one, the danger of the ark of the Lord reveals holy God who is not like any other God's religion. Exodus 11, chapter 15, 11. This is the reason why we ought to really have confidence in believing one true God. Because God is not, holy God is not like any other God. This is Moses' song. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? All other gods, as I mentioned, even New Age gods are manageable. If I do certain things, I could manage my religion, my God this way. Not God of the Bible. The key word is a transcendentness of God. His holiness is transcendent, which means it's not a, you know, drawing a curve, bell shape. Compared to so and so, I'm better off. God's holiness is perfect. There's no one meets God's perfect holy standard. And God is teaching about holiness in this very severe way. Even touching the uh, ark 
with good intention, seemingly good intention, the wrath of God broke out. I think one of the most encouraging things and the one book that I would love to encourage you, um, you know, I, I'm proud of Kate because she reads a lot of spiritual formation, very, very soft, tender books a lot. So I said you should read some theology. And what's first? One of the first books that I recommended is Archie Sproul's "The Holiness of God," and this quote is from that. Awesome. Surely Azza's reaction was reactive. He did what any pious Jews would do to keep the ark from falling in the mud. He stretched out his hand and put it squarely on the, on the ark, steadying it in place lest it fall to the ground. An act of holy heroism? No! It was an act of arrogance, a sin of presumption. Oza assumed that his hand was less polluted than the earth. But it wasn't the ground or mud that would desecrate the earth. It was the touch of man. The earth is obedient, obedient creature. It does what God tells it to do. It brings forth its yield in its season. It obeys the laws of nature which God has established. When the temperature falls to a certain point, the ground freezes. When water is added to dust, it becomes mud as God decided. The ground does not commit cosmic treason. There is nothing polluted about the ground. God did not want his holy throne to be touched by that which was contaminated contaminated by evil, that which was in rebellion to him, that which by its unladdly revolt had brought the whole, create, whole of creation to ruin and caused the ground and the sky and the waters of the sea to groan together in travail waiting for the day of redemption. Isn't, isn't that Insightful, isn't that help you to open our eyes? Soil is not foil, fallen. Soil remained God has designed and created. Human beings have fallen and became depraved. And that leads to actually the second, second point. Lesson number two is God's holiness is an essential part of the gospel that necessitates God's sovereign grace and mercy for our salvation. Where is the verse? Romans 5, I'm sorry, Romans 3, 10, verse 10 through 12, and verse 23 says this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This 
is absolute measurement if we are to see God's holy, perfect standard. Then, you know, us are dying and all this. And, you know, we're not me- measuring. And you were going, Paul, Paul, oh, how is it a gospel? Gospel means a good news. What's the, where's the good news? I'll tell you good news here. Without God's holiness, without God's wrath and judgment, God's mercy, God's grace can be not only taken for granted, but it becomes sentimentality. You know what I mean? If you don't have a cancer, cure for cancer doesn't... I mean, if you do not even have a person, loved ones have a struggling with cancer, almost to the point of death and suffering, cure for cancer will live for joy, make you live for joy and sing hallelujah. But, you know, there are times that we hear about weird, very rare diseases. Oh, I feel sorry for them. Facebook post. Uh, I wish there is a cure for that person, that kind of person. But one in a million, one in several million cases. So not me. It doesn't affect me. But when we think about wrath of God and our sinful depravity, total depravity, if we don't understand the holiness of God, gospel is not gospel. And God is teaching us here, the mankind, the whole world this way. God teaches his perfect holiness so that men do not, underst- do not misunderstand the perfect standard he asserts. And then he sends his own begotten son who died in our behalf, on, on our behalf, in our place. To shed a blood cost everything to God or to offer that as a free gift of God to us. In this day and age, when even during Sunday morning it's difficult to preach about sin and God's wrath and God's holiness, of course grace is cheap. Oh, I wish we know this. Because unless we fear the Lord and see the glimpses of holiness and fall flat, not only in worship, but in genuine reverent fear of the Lord, we will not fully appreciate God's love and God's mercy for each one of us. How is this possible? That he would die for me. Amazing grace. Third and last lesson. Is the joy before the ark of the Lord. Or joy with the ark of the Lord. David's joy. 
is also available for us, Christ followers, who is given access to the grace of God's presence. Once again, the seed of God, purpose and plan, and fruition to uh, the, the era of grace, the new covenant. What happened? Because the blood of Jesus once for all, not once every year, a blood of a sacrifice, animal, which cannot really forgive any sins, wipe away the cost and the wage of sin, which is death. Anyone who places his or her faith in Jesus by grace, which means undeserved, unmerited, free gift of God, we're granted access to the throne of God. The same principle of Ark of the Lord, the dwelling of God, the shalom of God, the joy of God, and Romans 5, verse 1, 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of, the hope of God. So, let's apply this thing there is no way by myself righteousness or good works or good intentions that I can measure up to God and somehow change of God's mind. Which also means there's nothing you can do except you surrender your heart to God and ask for God's mercy. And then joy is available even today, even this in this service. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. You died and shed your precious blood for me. Abba, I belong to you. I stand in the grace because of this access given to me. Through Jesus. Oh, this changes my perspective. I'll be honest with you. My, some of you guys noticed it already. My twitching came back big time these days. So we, I, I, I don't sleep well. I wake up several times throughout, throughout, the day, throughout the night. Of course it's a stress. I, I will tell myself, I'm not stressed, I'm not stressed. But it's twitching like crazy. So uh, as I'm thinking about application, this coming week, we are supposed to do family staycation, and I try to detach myself. Not because everything goes my way, not because we have an answer we needed for our church zoning is this week, but because the presence of the Lord, hallelujah, I could dance. <laughs> Would you join me? in that dancing, in that utter dependence through prayer. And then we claim the hope is in you. 
I belong to you. Our church belongs to you. Our family belongs to you, Lord. The best place we could be is in the nucleus of God's will, not on the skirt of God's will. May the Holy Spirit nudge our hearts to, to this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your scripture. We are grateful for your Holy Spirit as well. The illumination of your word. As we see this truth that you are not manageable, we cannot put you in, the, in a box, in a nice formula, that you are mysterious and transcendent, sovereign God, a holy God. We ask for faith. Increase our faith. Not only to be reverently fearful of you, but also joyfully confident in your presence. Because of your son Jesus and his blood, we have this access to the throne, the very throne of grace. And even for our church, Lord, as we wait, as things are very uncertain, we pray for your shalom and joy as we wait. Protect us from the evil one, his lies and his decoys, and unify us in prayer and through fasting and prayer chain. The coming Saturday, 7 a.m. prayer meeting. And with our children as a family, may this be unmasked blessing that we face because of your providence that we will learn to trust you, grow, our, grow in our faith as we wait on you. We thank you and we worship you. We bless the name of our Lord, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.